All right, guys, it's good to be back with you. Missed you last week. If you have your Bibles, grab them. We'll continue in the book of Romans, chapter 7. How did, how did Ryan do in chapter 6? Okay, I heard he did good. <laughs> that was John Gannon, just so you know. You can get him. All right, so quick recap. We've talked about Romans being this one big argument that Paul is laying out. So chapters 1 through 3, bad news. The end of chapter 3 through 5, the good news that we've been made justified and reigned right with God. 6 and 7, chapter 6 and chapter 7 are responses to anticipated questions about the bad news and the good news. In 6, the question is, should I continue in sin that grace may abound? And in 7, chapter 7 this morning, here is the question. If I'm, here's basically the question. If I am a Christian, why do I still struggle with sin? If I'm a Christian, why do I still sin? Why do I still struggle with sin? Maybe struggling with some of the same things that you struggled with before you were a Christian. Maybe struggling with some of the same things you've been struggling for for 20, 30, 40 years. Why am I still struggling with these same old habits and sins? Is Jesus not in me? Is the Holy Spirit not in me? Why am I struggling? That's the question we seek to answer. There's a classical work, classical book uh, called Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Have any of you read that? It's a classical book. And in this story, Dr. Jekyll was this good, fine, upstanding citizen, a good man, and he, become, and he grows frustrated because inside of himself, he seems that there are two parts to him. There is this bad part and this good part, and they kind of are at war with each other inside of himself. The bad part always seems to be holding back the good part of him, and, and the good part always holding back the bad part of him. He, and he, he describes it like this. He says uh, of himself, it was an incongruous compound of good and bad mixed together. And so in the book, uh, the doctor is a chemist, and so what does he do? He develops a potion that would separate the two parts of him, separate the good from the bad. And so he makes this potion, and he drinks it, and what happens is the good part of him comes out during the day, and at the night, the bad part takes over, and they are completely disjointed from one another. And so during the day, you have Dr. Jekyll, and he's good, he's Loves everyone and is kind, and at night he becomes Mr. Hyde. The bad part comes out. They're completely separated. Neither part hindered by the other. The good or the bad, not hindered by each other. The good not held back by the bad, the bad not held back by the good. And so the problem was, in the book, that the evil part, Dr. Jekyll, was more evil than he thought it was. The evil inside Dr. Jekyll was more evil than he thought it was. The bad Mr. Hyde's every thought was centered on himself. He was spiteful, he was angry, he was vengeful, and he was even a murderer. So Dr. Jekyll says, I was tenfold more wicked than I ever thought I was. I discovered through this process that man is never truly one but two. It wasn't that I was a hypocrite. Both sides of me. We're completely sincere. Have you ever felt like that? Like both sides of you, the good side and the bad side, were both completely sincere. That you actually wanted to do good, but at other times you actually legitimately wanted to do bad. And that there are these two realities in you competing, warring with one another. 
for control. That is the struggle that every Christian faces. And that is the struggle that Paul deals with in chapter 7. So if you're taking notes, here are the three things we're going to talk about. The battle we can't win. The battle we cannot win. The battle we can't lose. And the battle reminds us of grace. All right, we're going to start in verse 7, and we're going to work our way back. We're going to work 7 down, and then we're going to come back to the beginning. Because what Paul does is at the beginning, 1 through 6, he gives the answer to the problem. But we're going to leave the answer for the end. So we're going to walk through 7 through the end, and then we're going to come back to the top. So start with me in chapter 7, verses 7 through 13. Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and God says this. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin, for I would have not known what it is to covet if the law had not said you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it, it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means, it was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. This is the word of the Lord. It would be easy to read Paul and conclude that Paul thought the law of God was bad. Right? Uh, that the Ten Commandments, that the moral laws in the Old Testament were bad. He, he says, you know, we should die to the law. That the law arouses sinful passions, that it multiplies sin. When you read him, it, 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 you would think, man, Paul doesn't like the law. And so he's anticipating this question. He's anticipating the question where people are like, well, Paul, you don't like the law. But he's saying, no, by no means. That's not true. And so he says that if it wasn't for the law, I would have not known I was a sinner. If, if it wasn't for God's law, I wouldn't know that I had sinned. See, the point of the law is to show us how inadequate we are in comparison to what is, what is truly good. See, if it wasn't for the law, we might all go around thinking that we were pretty good. We might make up our own standards. We might think that we were awesome, not realizing, compared to actual goodness, that we're bad. Imagine with me for a moment a, a full-length mirror. And that in this full-length mirror, it would show you a perfectly healthy, perfectly fit, perfectly in-shape version of you. Now, I know some of us look in the mirror and we see that now, even though it's not true. Some of us look in the mirror and 50 pounds overweight and we go, man, I look good. But imagine that the mirror shows you exactly what you should look like if you were perfectly healthy. And that every time you looked in the mirror, you saw the difference. You saw where you were and where you're supposed to be. You saw where you were failing. You saw where you could take a little bit off those love handles and put them on your biceps. It showed you all of your flaws. That is what the law does. The law is a comparison to show us where we should be and where we actually are. And so Paul he begins to get personal in this text, and he talks about himself before he came to Christ and how the law 
revealed his own failures. He says, look, I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said you shall not covet. Now, coveting, this is where Paul is going to get personal. Coveting, if you don't know, is the 10th commandment in the Ten Commandments. And it means that you want something somebody else has and you feel like you won't be satisfied until you have that thing. And so Paul goes on to say, since he learned that he was coveting, it was wrong. It says, sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. Verse 9, he says, once I was alive apart from the law. You see, he's saying that before he understood that he was guilty of coveting, he felt alive. He felt full because he looked at himself and he thought, you know what? I've never committed adultery. I've never stolen anything. I've never killed anyone. I've honored my parents. I don't worship idols. I observe the Sabbath. I tithe. Look, I'm pretty good. I'm feeling alive. God must be happy with me. He gets through the nine commandments and he's feeling pretty good about himself. But then at some point in his life, he becomes convicted of that tenth of coveting. Because that commandment has nothing to do with outward performance, right? It's not something I can just go do or not go do. It has everything to do with the posture of your heart. And so Paul begins to realize that he's coveting, that he's envious, that he wants something other people have, and he wants it for himself. He feels like he's not going to be whole until he has it. Martin Luther talked about this Ten Commandments, coveting, and here's what he said. He said that all of the other commandments are after coveting. We steal because we want what someone else has. Someone else has. We lie because you want something you can't get with the truth. You commit adultery because you want someone that is not your spouse. And so Paul started to see his heart was guilty of coveting what someone else had, that he wanted for himself, that even his religious zeal was marked by this sin, that he wanted respect, he wanted status, he wanted distinction, he wanted to be the Jew of Jews, the Pharisee of Pharisees. He wanted to be above everyone else in Judaism. And so he is wrestling with this reality, and it makes him feel like he died. He was alive apart from the law, he says, but when when he understood the law, he died. So what does he do? He has to do damage control. And then he says, sin producing me, coveting of every kind. It's like when you try to stop doing the thing you realize you're doing, it's just like you find it everywhere, and it takes control, and it it takes over your whole life. Paul's saying, the harder I tried to keep the law to prove that I was good and I was a worthy person, the more my coveting and insecurity and jealousy flared up. My insecurity in religion turned me into this awful person. You see, the law reveals our inability to keep it and it exposes our sin. The law reveals our inability to keep it and it exposes our sin. Imagine with me for a moment, it would be like if you, if you were at home and you had the flu. And I came to you and I said, look, thou shalt not cough, thou shalt not be weak, thou shalt not have a fever, thou shalt not have chills. The more laws I gave you about being sick, even if you were in denial, like most of us men often do, I'm not sick. <coughs> even if you were in denial, all of the laws would only show you that you are, that you are actually sick. No matter how much you tried to fight it. And the irony is that the harder you tried to keep these laws I gave you, the worse you would get. If I said to you, thou shalt not feel weak, and you jumped out of bed and tried to go work out, you would find yourself collapsed on the floor, now even sicker. That's the same with the law. What is the one battle we can't win? 
We can't win the battle against the law. It will always show us our failure. You can't win. You're never going to fulfill it and keep it perfectly. You're never going to be good. It is this battle that Paul has with his inability to keep the law that eventually leads him to faith in Christ on the road to Damascus. This is the Paul pre-conversion. And it was this that led him to show him that he couldn't fulfill it, he couldn't need it, and he needed something else. Maybe he needed Jesus. So in verse 14, he shifts to talking about uh, his and our new life in Christ, which is no longer a battle we can't win, but now, 14 to 25, it's the battle we can't lose. Can't win the battle against the law, but now we have a battle we can't lose. So look at it with me in verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin, for I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want. Listen, y'all listen to this. This is like every day. For I do not want to do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it's good. So now it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do uh, what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells within my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, to Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. So before you come to Christ, the law shows us that we're never going to win the battle in trying to keep it. It simply shows us our failures. It is meant to be a mirror that shows us our inadequacies. But when we come to Christ, sometimes we have this false notion, right? Right? I, I realize I, I, I'm broken. I need to come to Christ. I come to Christ. And then we begin to think, oh, everything's going to change. Everything's going to be different. Now I'm going to have this supernatural strength, and I won't struggle with A, B, or C anymore. Right? I, I won't have a hard time uh, with, with these sins or habits that I've had anymore. I won't be tempted to do those bad things. Right? Wrong. Paul, now an apostle, now converted and filled with the Holy Spirit, and right in the Bible, the Bible says, For I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my flesh. Nothing good lives in me that is in my flesh. And I so resonate with, that, with, that, with those couple of phrases that he says, like, like look, when I want to do this, I know the good I should do, and I want to do it, and I don't have the ability to carry it out. All right, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I know I shouldn't do, I do do. You see, when you become a believer, all of those old desires, all of those old problems, those old sin and temptations, they are still there, and they are just as strong as they ever were. The only difference is that now you have the Holy Spirit living within you. God has made you a new creation, given you a new heart. And so, now the fight is not one-sided. Now the battle is not one-sided. You see, believers have a constant war going on inside of them. If you are in Christ, there is a war going on within yourself right now. You see, in you lies what theologians call the old man and the new man. 
The old man and the new man are both inside of you waging war. And every Christian is both a new creation who wants to live for God, who wants to please God, a new man who wants every action to serve God, to do what is right, to, to live for him. But at the same time, there's this old man in us, this broken, sinful part of us that wants nothing but to rebel against God, to rebel against his commands, to taste the forbidden fruit, to want to only please and live for ourselves. And both of those realities are in us. We have both Mr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. It would be like having a Bengals fan and a Steelers fan sitting next to each other at the game. They, they don't want to look at each other. They cheer at different times. They boo at different times. They jeer. They talk smack to each other. And they are secretly fantasizing about the other one losing in spectacular fashion. Amen. <laughs> the only difference is that instead of it being two separate people, two opposite fans fighting, both of those people live inside of each and each and every one of us. When you become a Christian, that old self doesn't go away. And it doesn't even really lose its strength. In you is both this old man and this new man. This old creation and this new creation. Living simultaneously. Y'all remember the old cartoons? For me, it's Bugs Bunny that I think about. When, you know, Bugs or whoever was trying to make a decision and he'd have a little uh, angel on one shoulder and a little devil on the other shoulder. The little angel's got a harp and is trying to tell him, no, Bugs, don't do that. That's bad. Do this. And then the devil's like, no, do this or whatever, you know, and they're, they're both trying to win Bugs Bunny over to do this or that. That's true of us, except it's not some foreign angel or, you know, or some foreign demon. It's just you. Right? Like in those cartoons, it, it was a picture of bugs dressed like an angel, a picture of bugs dressed like a demon. It's just you. It's not the devil trying to make you do this. It's just you. Right? Inside of each and one, every one of us is this old man and this new man. And man, they are at war for control of your life. Sometimes we think that the Christian life is like a pot of water. That before Christ came, the, the water was ice cold. But when Christ came, he turned the stove on and the water heats up and begins to boil. You go to church and, and the, sto the stove is turned up even more and you become on fire for Jesus, boiling over. And then when you leave church, it's like putting ice cubes in the water and you start to cool off. But that's not how it works. In your heart, you have this new nature in Christ by the Spirit. And at the same time, you have your flesh, the old sinful nature, and the old, the, with the same old strength and corruption. You are at the same time Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And whichever nature you nurture... Whichever one of those, either the sinful nature or your new nature in Christ, whichever one of those you give time and attention and you nurture, the one you cater to is the one that will thrive. If you nurture that old you, he is going to take control and try to ruin your life. The old you is that same vengeful predator he always was, fighting for control with the new you. The, the Puritan preacher John Owen once wrote, you must be killing sin or it will be killing you. Because that is the desire of our flesh, of our old nature. 
And so we must see that old man, that old nature as sin, as an enemy. And if we don't fight it, if we don't take dominion over it, if we don't or aren't always fighting it, it will always come back in our life and try to destroy us. It will always promise joy but bring death. It will always promise satisfaction but bring death. I think this can be helpful for so many of us who have struggled throughout our life asking the question, man, Am I really a Christian? Because I feel like if I was really a Christian, I wouldn't struggle with that. And like, do I really love Jesus? Does Jesus really love me? Because I feel like if those things were true, I wouldn't have this problem or that problem. I wouldn't have a hard time with those old sins anymore. And we struggle and we think, man, maybe God doesn't love me. Maybe I don't love him. Maybe I'm not in him. And I hope that you see, you begin to see that the reason you don't live for God perfectly is because no one does. Because we are all at war within ourselves and we don't win every battle. Following Jesus is not about being perfect. We just admitted that being perfect is a battle we cannot win. It is a futile battle that we'll never obtain. We won't even get close to. Following Jesus is about fighting this battle against sin, against that old man. While knowing, it's about fighting that battle while knowing that the war has already been won. We fight the battle knowing the war has already been won. You see, knowing that I have ultimate victory coming changes my disposition in the fight currently. You see, as Christians, we know the end of the story, right? Like, we've seen how this movie ends. We know what is coming. We know that this old man in us, these, these sinful desires, these old bad habits, this corrupted part of us, has already died through the death of Christ. And we know that we have been raised to new life. And we know that we don't have this new perfect life yet, but we know that it's coming. We know that we will one day be raised from the dead, and when we do that, that old man will stay in the ground. One day there won't be a war going on inside of us. It'll just be the new man, just the good left. But right now, that old man's died, right? He's died in Christ, but he's like a zombie just holding on, trying to get and claw for all that he can. See, we know that when Jesus died and was raised from the dead, that his victory over sin, over death, over the devil, over his accusations against us has been defeated. We know that Jesus' victory becomes our victory, right? We know that. And so when those old sinful cravings, those old temptations, those old failures come back, we know that those are not true of us anymore. That is not who we are anymore. That is the old us. The old us that we are putting to death. And no matter what, no matter how many times that old man wins the fight, that old corrupted part of us wins the battle, we know the war's been won. We know that ultimately he's going to lose. And that the new us, the new me, is going to live and reign good forever. My failures are the old me, not the future me. Your failures are the old you, not the future you. The future that Jesus has secured and that will come to pass and live forever. You see, when you understand that victory is yours in Christ, it changes how you fight the battle, how you view the battle. 
In your old life, before Christ, remember that old sin you used to always, it, it would get you, you would feel bad about it, you would beat yourself up about it, you'd maybe get depressed about doing that thing, and you'd fall back into it again. And when you become a Christian, you still struggle with it, right? You fall back into it, and just like you used to, you get mad at yourself. You, you see yourself as unable to change. You're still losing the battle. That's the wrong way to view it. You are now in a battle you can't lose. You are in a battle you can't lose because though you struggle, the outcome has been determined because the war has been won. And the more you believe and trust in the victory of Christ for you, the more you believe and understand the future that is coming, that the battle, the war has been won, you will find yourself slowly and slowly saying, this sin that tasted so good before has waned. This sin that tasted so good to me, why doesn't it satisfy me the way it used to anymore? Your love for those old things will slowly and slowly diminish as you dance and celebrate and look to and trust in a future that is secure because the war has been won. That's because those old things no longer represent or express who you truly are now in Christ. See, those sinful habits are like Lazarus' grave clothes. Don't suit him anymore. Don't suit him anymore. December 1941 was a dark time in England. The war was not going well, but on the morning of Sunday, December 7th, Winston Churchill heard that the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor. And he walked into his office and he called FDR. And FDR told him, he said, well, we are all in the same boat now. And Churchill later wrote in his memoir, he said, no American will think it wrong of me to proclaim that hearing that the United States was on our side was the greatest joy to me. England would live. Britain would live. The rest of the war was simply proper application of overwhelming force. I went to bed that night and slept the sleep of the saved and the thankful. Overwhelming force transformed Churchill's attitude from helplessness to hopefulness. Nothing actually tangibly changed on the other side of the war. Hitler was still on the offensive. Hitler was still moving, but now America was on his side, and America was coming. And the Christian life, the Holy Spirit that lives in you is that overwhelming force. His presence is the assurance of victory. That means that on my darkest days, I can find encouragement. Though the devil seems to be winning, though I seem to always be failing, the Spirit reminds me and points me to a cross that says, no, remember, the war has been won. He points me to an empty tomb. He says, no, remember, the war has been won. You might lose the battle today, but the war is over. On our darkest days, guys, when we fail the most, God is lifting up our chin to remind us that God has not forsaken us, that God has not abandoned us, that God is not shaking his fist at us in anger because we failed him again. He's pointing us back to the battlefield. He's pointing us back to the ruins where the battle was waged and the war was won. 
It's like when the Allied powers took Berlin. The war was over. But everyone hadn't got the news yet. And so there were all these other skirmishes and battles taking place around the the whole continent. Because they hadn't gotten word that Berlin had fallen. But they were still fighting. Our sinful nature, that old man, hasn't got the message. He hasn't understood that the war is over. That that old man has fallen. And so there's still these little skirmishes. There's still these little fights happening. But they're few. Berlin has fallen. Our sinful nature has fallen. It's been defeated. So all these little fights that we're having with ourselves, these struggles that we're having with ourselves, man, they're worth fighting. Like fight it, put sin to death. But do it because you know our the, Jesus' flag has been raised in victory. When you struggle, man, when you sin, when you go through discouraging seasons, when you, when you want to change but you don't know how, when you want to live for God but fail, remember what Paul says here in verse 24. This is the apostle. This is the guy who writes, who wrote like a lot of the New Testament. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? What a question. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? The law won't deliver me, Paul knows. Being a good person won't deliver me. Being a pastor, being an apostle won't deliver me. Going to Bible college won't deliver me. Reading my Bible every day won't deliver me. Going to church won't deliver me. Then he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, who by his death and resurrection has delivered us from the law of sin and death. You can't lose the battle with your old self because the battle has been won for you a long time ago on a hill where Christ died. And when he died, your old self died. And one day your old self's going to get the message. And stay in the ground. One day we'll have that victory in full. Right now we have it in part. But one day we'll have it in full. Until that day we fight. But here's how we fight. Y'all know I, I, I love the Bengals. Second to the Panthers. And I, sometimes I can't always get to watch the game. And I record it. And sometimes someone will text me. Man, great, vic- great win today. Gosh, wanted to go watch it without knowing who won. And so I'll still go back and watch it, knowing that my team is going to win. And so every fumble, every interception, every penalty, every dumb play, man, that's just a speed bump on the way to victory. Because when they throw an interception, I'm just sitting back like, that's all right. No big deal. I mean, it's dumb. Like, should have threw that pass. But I know who wins in the end. And you and I, and when we fight this fight with ourselves, when we try to put sin to death and try to live for the Lord, man, every failure, I was about a speed bump because I know who wins in the end. Man, every time we give in to sin, every time we give in to those old habits, every time the devil accuses us and we just get depressed, man, speed bump because I know who wins in the end. See, the battle, the battle we can't win against the law, there's a battle we can't lose because Jesus has won it for us 
But finally, the battle itself reminds us of grace. John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, which we sang this morning, he once said, we think growing in grace means getting to a place where we don't need grace anymore. Sometimes we think that, right? Growing in grace means we get to a place where we don't need grace anymore. But growing in grace on this side of the resurrection often means growing in our awareness of our need for grace. You see, growth in grace means growing in your awareness of your need for it, not getting to a place where you feel like it's no longer necessary. Verses 1 through 7, I told you I was going to come back to that. Paul basically, it's basically an illustration where Paul talks about we were born and married to the law. That our lives are ones we're married to the law. And the only way that we get to get out of that marriage is if we die. Because just like a marriage, the only way out is death. And in Christ, our old selves have died. And so now, we're no longer married to the law because we've died to it. We died to the law we could never keep. And so now, Jesus says, we're no longer married to the law, but we're married to Christ. We belong. What does that mean? What, it's the difference between what one guy has called a grace dog and a law dog. A law dog, you always know it because when the master comes home, the dog has his tail tucked underneath his legs. Intimidated by his master, always whimpering and whining. And the master says, do this or I'm going to hit you with this newspaper. He flies off the handle. It's a miserable dog. But a grace dog wags its tail when its master comes home. Comes and jumps on him, licks him. Only wants to please the master because there is a relationship there. There is grace there and the dog lives to make the master happy. You see, it's us. It means that we kill our sin. We live for Jesus. We die to our old self. We serve Jesus. Not because we think he's going to come home and hit us with a newspaper. Not because we think if we don't, God's going to smite us. Not because if we don't live up to his expectations, he's going to take his thumb and squish us. And get rid of us. No, man, we serve him because we just want to make him happy. We love him. We live for him because of everything that he's done for us, because he loved us first, and because we are so amazed and thankful and in love with him that we just want to make him happy. And so we serve out of that grace. We obey not out of duty but delight. So this battle we fight against our flesh is this reminder that we stand in grace. And then grace alone. I want to show you, I want to make a graph with you real quick that I think has been really helpful in my life. As we grow in following Jesus, we will grow in a deeper and deeper understanding of just how holy God is, right? Like the longer you follow God, if you're studying the scriptures, if you're in a relationship with the Lord, in 50 years... God will be more majestic, more beautiful, more radiant, more good, and more holy than you think he is right now. So on, on this graph in your notes, yeah, throw that back up there for me. In this graph on your notes on the top, I want you to write growing awareness of God's holiness. Think of this as a timeline. The further we follow Jesus, the greater our growing awareness of God's holiness becomes. We think God is more good and more holy and more majestic than we ever thought he was before. And notice that the longer you walk with God, the greater that gets. Well, what then 
is the opposite of that. In 50 years, as you've learned more about how holy God is, in relation to that, you are going to learn how much more sinful you are than you think you are right now. Paul said that he was the chief of sinners because the closer he got to God, it was like shining a brighter light on himself, a light that exposed sin that he never thought was there, sin beneath the cracks, sin beneath the surface, (coughs) sin behind sin. He felt more broken and more sinful than he ever thought he had earlier in his life when he was killing people. He thought he was more sinful later. Because the greater awareness of God's holiness, the greater awareness of my sin. Throw that back up on the bottom line. I want you to write the growing awareness of my sin. Now, knowing all of this does something amazing in us. Leave that up for me, Scott. I want you to notice that the gap gets bigger and bigger. The more you understand the holiness of God, the more sin, uh, the more you understand the awareness of your sin, and that gap gets huge. What does that tell us? What does that tell us? But grace was always bigger than we could ever imagine. Draw some crosses getting bigger there for me. What does that tell us? But then when we first got saved, we thought, we thought grace was great. But we had no idea how much we were getting. And the longer we follow Jesus, the more holy we realize he is, the more sinful we realize we are, the bigger the cross, the bigger the gospel, the bigger God's grace becomes in our life. We don't get to the end of our life after following Jesus for 80 years and go, man, I'm so good now. We get to the end of our life for 80 years and we say, man, Jesus is better than I ever thought he was when I first started following him. The battle may be tough, but it shows us that no matter what, God's love is bigger. His love is bigger than we can imagine. Now, here is the irony. Here is the irony of the Christian life. The only people who get better, the only people who change, the only people who take dominion over their sin are those who understand that their acceptance by God is not conditioned on their getting better. The only people who get better are those who know that if they never get better, God will love them anyway. Isn't that good news? And that is good news for us this morning because no matter how much you fail, if you are in Christ, He will never walk away from you. God's acceptance acceptance of you is the power that liberates us from sin, that liberates us from the old man. God's acceptance is not the reward for having liberated ourselves. He loved us while we were still sinners. You see, you may be Jekyll and Hyde now. You may be fighting this war within yourself every day right now. But rest, because there is a day coming soon when God will make you something so glorious and so beautiful, something so majestic, that if you could see who God is making you into, you would, you'd be tempted to worship yourself. So fight. Do the battle. And then lay your head on your pillow at night and rest, knowing that the war is over, our enemy is defeated, and victory is yours. You can't mess it up. Pray. Father, we come to you this morning. And there are those, there are those in this room right now who they're not even fighting the battle because they don't belong to you. The battle is so one-sided, it's not even a fight. 
Father, there are those in this room right now who are just the old man, just the old woman, just the old, corrupted, sinful, broken, fallen, cursed part of them. And that's all they are. Because they are, they are separated from you. They are, they are alienated. They are cut off from you. So, Father, this morning, if that is them, God, would you give them a new heart? Would you show them that they could come to you and find acceptance, find forgiveness, find new life? They can find someone who will fight for them, who has fought for them, given their life for them. And that's you this morning. You don't know Jesus. You're just the old corrupted you. And come find new life. Come, come find wholeness. And Father, there are other, other people in this room right now who, and they belong to you, but they are, they are struggling. They are hurting. They are discouraged because they feel like they've been following you for so long that the pornography addiction shouldn't be a problem anymore. There are people that have been following you for so long that they feel like the, 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 the unforgiveness that's welling up in their heart all the time when they see that person shouldn't be there anymore. They're struggling because of this sin or that sin or this habit or that habit. They feel like it shouldn't be a problem anymore, but yet still, it has its grip on them. And so God, this morning, would you remind them and encourage them and show them they can rest knowing the battle is over. The war has been won. And now they can fight as those who have victory assured. They can fight knowing they can give it all, knowing that victory is theirs no matter the outcome of each fight. Help them to rest and know that it is normal to fail. It's not okay to fail, but it's normal because we're at war within ourselves right now. God, give us the rest that can only come in Jesus. If you're here this morning and you don't know him, I'm going to be standing up here. There's some guys on the sides, and we would love to just show you how to follow Jesus. It would make our day if you'd come and say, I need to belong to him because I don't. If you're here this morning and you are discouraged, you're discouraged because of things in your life that you're not over, we'd love to pray with you. We'd love to encourage you this morning. And if you're here this morning, you just need to stand there and sing in this song and think on Jesus, who he is and what he's done for you. Man, I want you to give all your focus and all your attention to him as you sing. Don't be worried about lunch. Don't worry about Jesus. Whatever you need this morning, we are here for you. Let's stand and sing together.